My how time flies. Here I am again. Must mean a week or so has passed. And uh, what I thought or we thought even as a team might be really useful to talk about is the hindrances. Now that uh, you've got some time behind you, whether long or short. Since this is something, basically, these hindrances are something we navigate, negotiate, and learn to work with. Um, multiple and ongoing times. From the Dhammapada, mind is the forerunner of all things. If one speaks or acts with an impure mind, suffering follows like the wheel that follows the foot of the ox. Mind is the forerunner of all things. If one speaks or acts with a pure mind, happiness follows, like the shadow that never leaves. The Buddha taught the Dharma in a myriad number of different ways, really um, clarifying and speaking to what the listening was in front of him in all minds, regardless of content or distinction. We can get a clear sense of his primary teachings through listening to his words and the various summaries he gave. In the Dhammapada, there are two other verses in which he encapsulates, encapsulates the teachings of the Buddhas. The first states, doing no evil, engaging in what's skillful, and purifying one's mind. This is the teaching of the Buddha. This verse gives a general overview of the teachings in terms of what Buddhas encourage people to actually do. The verse emphasizes ethical actions one should or shouldn't engage in. The important role of ethics, principles of conduct, is also represented in this second verse. Not disparaging others, not causing injury, practicing restraint by the training rules, Knowing moderation in food, dwelling in solitude, and pursuing the higher states of mind. This, too, is the teaching of the Buddha. <laughs> Not so difficult, huh? <laughs> Practicing mindfulness is easy. Remembering to do so is difficult. So like I'm often um, interested in doing when I'm speaking about something, especially when it's a concept or a word that has meaning in the English language, is to go to the dictionary. And so I went to the dictionary and I looked up the word hindrance. And there were three definitions that I felt it was useful to share with you in terms of thinking about um, uh, what we're up to in terms of engaging this component of practice and working with hindrances. So hindrance, something immaterial that interferes with or delays action or progress. 
a barrier, roadblock, any condition that makes it difficult to make progress or to achieve an objective. Lastly, any obstruction that impedes or is burdensome. So by now, most if not all of us have come upon many of the forces in the mind which can make it difficult to stay attentive to the present moment experience. These forces run the gamut from weak to very powerful. What we all have experienced to varying degrees is that we are hampered often in our ability to remain mindful, to develop concentration, and to have clear insight. Our attention is pulled in many directions other than where we wish it to land and interferes with our effort to meditate, to be present. Even when we have the best of intentions to stay focused and present, these forces can propel us into states of preoccupation and distracted thinking. The good news is these forces and challenges offer an opportunity, <coughs> an opportunity for the deepening of practice and skill as meditators and are not bad distractions or personal failings. It is actually a part of the path of practice to be mindful of them. These forces can serve us by forming the basis for cultivating awareness and wisdom. It is a necessary progression of practice to investigate the forces of distraction and agitation with the utmost care and honor, for they lay before us the opportunity to break through the cloud of confusion and reactivity our minds frequently dwell in. We must understand their true nature and how they work, as it is much easier to find freedom from something when we know it thoroughly. In the Majjhima Nikaya, which is the middle-length discourses of the Buddha, translated by Bhikkhu Nanamoli and Bhikkhu Bodhi, it is said, a direct training in concentration is on the abandonment of the five hindrances. The five hindrances, sensual desire, ill will, sloth and torpor, restlessness, remorse and doubt, are the primary obstacles to meditative development and their removal is therefore essential for the mind to be brought into a state of calm and unification. The primary obstacles. The primary obstacles. So as you engage in practice and find that our minds are um, landing on or in one of these states to remember and have some joy about it because that means you're in the business of taking care of business. Joseph Goldstein says um, in his book, One Dharma, 
Consciousness is the knowing factor of the mind. Knowing does not refer to knowledge we acquire about something, like learning to drive a car or taking a course in chemistry, but rather to the immediate, direct cognizing of the object itself, knowing a sight, a sound, a thought. We may hear a sound and then think bird. The first moments of consciousness would be the knowing of the sound followed by moments of knowing the thought. Moments of consciousness are often clouded by the mental factor of delusion, which is characterized by fixation, contraction, attachment, or resistance, not seeing things as they are. We call this delusion of mind ignorance. Sometimes consciousness is free of attachment and clinging, free of delusion. This mind is called wisdom mind or awareness. Most of us are familiar with experiences of the mind being clouded by ignorance. It is when we are caught up in wanting, attachment, fear, or aversion when we are lost in thoughts of past and future. It is as if our experience of sensations, thoughts, and emotions arise with Velcro loops, and delusion is the Velcro hook. When delusion is present, we stick. The Buddha used many terms to describe these states of delusion. Hindrances, defilements, Bloods, taints, bonds, and fetters. It is important to notice the contraction of mind when these diluted states are present because each of these moments is really a moment of suffering. In talking of the hindrances, the Buddha said, when these five hindrances are unabandoned in themselves, a bhikkhu sees them respectively as a debt, a disease, a prison house, slavery, and a road across a desert. But when these five hindrances have been abandoned in themselves, they see that as freedom from debt, healthiness, release from prison, freedom from slavery, and a land of safety. These metaphors are not simply philosophical concepts. They actually reflect the feeling of the mind contracted in ignorance or released in wisdom. Most probably at this point you've all heard the story on the night of the Buddha's awakening how Mara, the Buddhist personification of temptation and distraction comes to him time and time again in an attempt to undo the newly dawned freedom that the Buddha achieved. Each time Mara arrives, the Buddha simply says, Mara, I see you, seeing clearly things as they are. After this happening time and time again, 
Mara relinquishes the notion that the Buddha will be turned around and leaves. Seeing Mara for the empty illusions and the deluded thoughts and perceptions was effective in bringing freedom from Mara, which is the same practice, the same understanding, the same activity that we engage with in relationship to working with the hindrances. Liberation through non-clinging. Live in the nowhere you come from, even though you have an address here. Rumi. Although there can be numerous hindrances, there are five traditionally identified as particularly important for those of us taking this particular journey of Buddhist practice of mindfulness and meditation. Sooner or later, all meditators will have to address the hindrances. Often it is sooner and later because of how frequently they occur. These obstructing mind states should not be viewed as unfortunate occurrences, but rather as an opportunity to strengthen mindfulness, to strengthen concentration, to have broader, deeper understanding and non-clinging. So here you now have heard this word opportunities to meet the hindrances numerous times as a way to start to shift the relationship to these mental states which cause so much suffering for us. Without dedication to working with the hindrances, practice, one can be derailed from one's own practice. So there are these five hindrances these workings of the mind that can hinder our ability to see clearly and our capacity to develop a stable, concentrated mind. The five hindrances are sensual desire, the mind wanting something pleasurable, grasping after sense objects. This hindrance keeps the mind looking outward searching after this object or that in an agitated and unbalanced way. Sensual desire can be for food, comfort, physical and sexual experiences, sounds, smells, sights, and other sense pleasures. It is the very nature of sense desires that they can never be satisfied. There is no end to the seeking. Living without wants, wishes, motivations, or aspirations is impossible. However, to approach freedom, we must emphasize skillful desires and distinguish the healthy, useful desires from the unhealthy ones. We become wise about harmful desires and understand the more we value freedom and its pleasures, the more likely freedom guides us in deciding which desires 
or aspirations we allow to guide our lives. So this hindrance, this mind state of sense pleasure seeking, clinging attachment, I actually experienced an opening um, in relationship to this hindrance right here at IMS when I was on retreat one spring. And I was in it. I was, it was like the middle of my retreat. I was rolling. Wasn't a lot of obstacles. Wasn't a lot of suffering. This particular day, there was lots of joy and energy. And I come out of Shanti House, and there's these, um, uh, what are they called? Daylilies. Daylilies right outside. And there was one in particular that was um, singing to me. And I was telling this to uh, someone today when we had our meeting that the way I describe it was that this, uh, this flower was at the pinnacle of its self-expression. It was magnificent. And I stood there and I'm communing with the flower and I'm like, my boundaries are expanding. And then the thought, oh, let me go and get my camera so I can take a picture of this exquisite flower so I can hold on to it. Took me no more than a minute, if that, to go get my camera, my phone. I came back, and in that minute, the flower had moved. It was still gorgeous, but it had moved beyond that self-expression of magnificence in that short time. And when I went and thought about that, not only did it actually offer some insight for me in relationship to impermanence, but I really got how so often in my life, it's not always like a, a, a negative thing, but there's this clinging there, there's holding on in these subtle, subtle ways. You know, sometimes it's easy for us to catch the big ways in which we're doing uh, a disservice to ourselves and our hearts and minds. Um, but it's these subtle ways, these nuances. I've been talking to a lot of you about this concept of, oh, I've been here a week now, like where's the, where's the juice? Where's the big bang? Where's the flashing lights like I talked about the other morning? But the actuality is that I've had many more insights much more deepening of practice just in bringing attention, awareness, and focus into the nuances of the small aspects of living. So that's my budding flower story. So then there's ill will or aversion. The mind is filled with dislike, the condemning mind, anger, Fury, resentment, hatred, annoyance, aversion, irritation, vexation, loathing, spite, resistance, avoidance, criticalness, boredom, complaining, grudges, and fearfulness. Oh, doesn't that sound lovely? <laughs> Give you some sense of how Ill, Ill will may feel in the body, certainly how our mind interprets um, um, that awareness. You know, the mind is burning with desire or burning up. It's the mind striking against an object that wants to get rid of it. And when he spoke, um, uh, I guess it was last night, 
about how eating in the dining room has so much to offer in terms of teaching. Many opportunities um, in, in, in that participation part of the retreat. And I remember it was actually the, the first or second, I don't know, it was the first or second retreat that I did here at IMS, and it was the women's retreat. And, um, you know, by now you all know a piece of my story or a piece of what I work with is this whole thing about race and power and all that kind of stuff, um, which is, is uh, actually the source um, for my uh, becoming a Dharma teacher. So in any case, I was on this retreat. It was a women's retreat. And out of the 98 women there, there were two women of color, myself and my girlfriend. And my girlfriend is the one that brought me to that retreat. So we're doing this 10-day retreat. And, you know, it's new to me. So I'm kind of lost, don't know exactly what's going on. And, you know, but doing my best to follow the coaching and the teaching and the mentoring um, that's available. And I'm left-handed. So I had identified a corner at a table that I could always depend that I could go and sit there and not be feeling crowded and, you know, preferences, you know. And uh, so that gone very swimmingly for a couple of days and I was doing quite fine. And one day I came in and I got my lunch and I turned to walk to my place and there was this woman sitting in my seat. <laughs> I was aghast. It's like, are you kidding me? Haven't you seen me sitting here every day for the past five days? <laughs> Don't you know I'm left-handed? And the mind was just proliferating with all the, you know, then I got into the race stuff, and I'm not going to share that with you all because that's past, <laughs> no longer relevant. Um, but I was running it for all it was worth. And uh, actually came out of that experience um, with some real peace, with some real peace. Um, after seeing that particular um, corridor, it wasn't just a path, corridor in my mind that had been cultivated and developed and conditioned for, uh, let's see, 30 years, I guess. With ill will, this requires a willingness to shift attention away from whatever we are hostile towards and instead turn it towards the experience of ill will itself. So not the object, but the actual experience of ill will. It can be useful to be mindful of it in a non-judgmental and non-reactive way after you do your thing. You know, like don't skip over that. You gotta feel your thing. Because that's the source. That's, that's always sourcing. So you want a familiar, yeah, we're aiming for non-judgment, we're na aiming for acceptance. We're aiming for allowing. And, and we'll get there, and we, we pop in and out, you know. But at some point, it will, will become much more sustainable. But don't pass over the crap on your way, because then your foundation is going to be shaky. Examine the beliefs that underlie the ill will. How do we believe aversion will be beneficial or justified? What assumptions do we believe about how things are supposed to be? What might ill will be covering? Frustrated desire? Fear? 
embarrassment, with no aversion to aversion, mindfulness can make us independent of aversion. Then there's sloth and torpor, which we've been hearing a lot about in our rooms. The mind is sleepy or too apathetic to see clearly, sluggish, laziness of mind, a mind that is heavy or dull. Sloth and torpor can arise from the absence, actually, of desire and aversion, the lack of stimulation that accompanies constant desire and aversion can be deflating and even depressing. Sloth and torpor are forces in the mind that drain vitality and limit effort. Sloth manifests as a physical absence of vitality. The body may be feeling heavy, lethargic, or weak. When this hindrance is strong, there is oftentimes not even enough mindfulness to know we have fallen into it. Sloth and torpor refers to low energy states related to an attitude we are holding. Discouragement, frustration, boredom, indifference, giving up, hopelessness, and resistance are some of the mind states that fuel and create and cause sloth and torpor. Although sloth and torpor may be present, it does not mean energy is not available, but just that we're not accessing it. Our evaluations and judgments and reactions lead to lethargy. Learning how to mindfully watch our thoughts instead of actively participating in them can effectively stop them from draining our energy. Restlessness and worry. The mind is too anxious to stay steady. Regret, agitation, jumping from one object to another without any mindfulness. A state of over-excitement. What are the causes and conditions that give rise to restlessness? Well, some of them might look like uh, watching too much TV, the internet, our phones. These all contribute to an increased sense of restlessness. The overstimulation of social media. Not taking enough time to pause. The tyranny of time and overcommitment and overextension. Dissatisfaction. Frustrated desire and pent-up aversion are common causes of agitation. Being mindful of the cause is helpful and not the agitation. When pain is the cause of the restlessness, whether it be physical, emotional, or psychological, it should be addressed. We don't want to try to not pay attention to that. When thinking is a big part of restlessness, it can be re useful to relax the thinking muscle. Okay, so my last IMS story, I've retreated a lot here, so most of my story, you know, like a lot of the, the old school teachers tell you a lot of stories about Asia. 
Well, I got a lot of stories about IMS. <laughs> this was my, where I developed the practice. So it was actually maybe only about three or four years ago. It was towards the end of my teacher training. So I was beginning to assist more and more. And so I was uh, here at a retreat assisting and uh, the coordinating teacher was Larry Yang. And um, Larry was very supportive and instrumental of my growth as a yogi and as a teacher. And so he gave me the um, assignment of doing instruction the next morning. I was like, okay, here it is. Got that, Dawn? Here it is. (laughs) I was like, okay, you know, I've I've been moving towards this. I've been working towards this. I'm going to get myself together and, and do these instructions. And uh, about 11 o'clock that evening, the panic started to arise. And I had never had a panic attack before. I'd, I'd had anxiety, but I've never had an, a panic attack before. And I would say for the next three hours, I was rigidly laying in bed, unable to move, while my mind ran, screaming with terror, back and forth, all through the hindrances, the, I mean, big time. And I, literally, the, mind, the body could not move. And at some point, it became too uncomfortable to continue in that state. It felt like it was going to cause harm for me. And so somewhere from the depths of of, of some wisdom or some knowing, it occurred to me like, okay, I can't do this, which was actually a harder thing to recognize than to keep pushing through trying to do it. So I recognized that really it was time for me to remove myself from the condition that was causing this degree because the mind hadn't been able to figure out anything else it could do in those three hours. So I, I, I uh, began to have some mobility and then came the worry of how do I tell Larry this is, you know, the papancha. So I sent him an email. Um, I think it was around 4 o'clock in the morning. I sent him an email and I said, Larry, I've tried to gather myself. I've tried everything that I know and it's failed me. I'm unable to meet your request of uh, giving instructions tomorrow morning. And of course he was asleep. It was 4 o'clock in the morning. Um, but just by sending it off, it gave me some relief because I had taken back some, uh, some power. You know, I was out of the, the, the mix of the uh, suffering that my mind was causing me. And I just kind of laid there and worked with relaxing and breathing and getting the physical operating again. And then he called me about 6 o'clock in the morning and basically he said, he said, uh, so welcome to the club. You had this experience um, where you can no longer turn away from the knowing 
of suffering that gets caused by the mind. This in no way reflects your intelligence, your capacities, or your abilities. It's actually an opportunity that arose that reflects the depth of the energy of practice that you're hoping to cultivate. Very, very kind man in his response. And um, was able to do the instructions the next day. Yeah, so sometimes it's big like that and in your face. And sometimes it's subtle like the flower. It can be useful to cultivate contentment, breath through the restlessness for calming. Releasing tension or constriction in breathing can be relaxing. The more attention given to breathing, the less attention is available to fuel restlessness and worry. It's also important to have enough exercise, sleep, good nutrition, because lack thereof can also encourage restlessness. And then lastly, although it's not linear by any means, is doubt, skeptical doubt, a lack of faith that you can stay mindful of what is true and to act skillfully. So, of course, you you recognize that in the story that I just told, it was a hindrance attack, like all five of them were on me. You got it, right? And sometimes it shows up like that. Sometimes it's just one, maybe two. And doubt tends to travel quite a bit with all of them. Like, you know, there's some partnership going on there. Doubt freezes the mind and undercuts our ability to cope with all the other hindrances. What am I doing here? Why did I come? I can't do it. It's too hard. Doubt distances us from the present moment, so bringing mindfulness can be helpful in shifting from doubt. Although there are seven factors included in the five hindrances, four are always paired. Gil Fransdale suggests that one explanation for this is that the paired items represent closely related physical and mental factors. The first two hindrances are related by being opposite qualities, desire and ill will. They are both forms of wanting, although opposite sides of the same coin. Desire seeks to have something whereas ill will wants to push something away. In a similar way, the third and fourth hindrances are related by being opposite qualities. They both relate to or involve levels of energy or vitality. Sloth and torpor are low energy states, while restlessness and worry are high energy states. The fifth hindrance Doubt is not specifically connected to any of the others, however, is often entwined with any combination of the other hindrances and can and does cast its influence in many ways. When the hindrances are strong, we lose our ability to see clearly. These hindrances cloud our mind and prevent us from knowing the cause of our suffering. The hindrances are not only present in meditation, but actually permeate our daily lives to varying degrees and can cast 
a powerful influence. The Buddha taught that our minds are usually clouded with one or more of the hindrances, but because this is such a normal experience, we hardly notice it. He also said that the mind's natural state is clear, luminous, and free of any hindrances. Mindfulness practice returns the mind to this free state. When the mind is not obscured by hindrances, attachment doesn't arise, and your mind is willing and able to be with what is. You are not caught in wanting anything, wanting to become anything, or wanting to get rid of anything. Although it is probable that this state has shown up many times in your life, if you are unaware and not mindful when it is occurring, the impact is minimal because you don't know what's going on. You're just suffering. In those moments in which your mind is free from hindrances, you are not in a reactive state. You are seeing things more clearly and have access to intuitive wisdom. When we practice and repeat the process of examination over and over with this practice, through the years, all types of desire gradually have less impact on our sense of well-being. We become less and less defined by our desires. They simply come and go. Some desires we respond to. Those desires we do not respond to may persist as a presence in our mind, but they don't take over the mind, pull us into a contracted state, put us in a bad mood, or spoil our attitude towards life. Strong addiction to sense pleasure or ill will can cause us humans to do things and make choices we regret for decades or even a lifetime. Actions motivated by the hindrances can be detrimental to ourselves, to others, and even to whole societies. This lack of clarity can cause us to misunderstand which thoughts, words, and actions are harmful and which are beneficial. With its false promise of gratification, strong sensual desire can blind us to the consequences of the inappropriate pursuit of pleasure. The pressure of ill will may cause us to act before reflecting carefully on the consequences. This is why Buddhist teachings strongly encourage people not to make decisions while under the influence of a hindrance. If we purify the mind of the hindrances, then the mind is no longer stiff and rigid. It becomes fluid, wieldy, and can be shaped into something beautiful. The hindrances can also be seen as strategies we use when we are challenged or uncomfortable. How do we deal with these difficult mind states that obstruct us on our journey on this path? Recognize them most essentially. 
Recognize them, see them clearly in each moment. That recognition is the most powerful, effective way of overcoming them. Recognition leads to mindfulness. Mindfulness means not clinging, not condemning, and not identifying with the object. Mindfulness is the most effective way of dealing with the hindrances. Remember, all the hindrances are impermanent mental factors. They arise and they pass away like clouds in the sky. However, when caught in the web of not seeing, we believe they are fixed and permanent. If we are mindful of them when they arise and do not react or identify with them, they pass through the mind without creating any disturbance. One of the useful tools that I have is a little ditty. Uh, this is for my girlfriend. We did CDL4 together. CDL4, CDL is the Community Dharma Leaders, uh, the training program, the leadership training program um, at Spirit Rock. And um, this whole understanding of impermanence uh, in the CDL that I was in, we had a, <laughs> a Dharma gospel choir. And uh, she took these words and put it to gospel syncopation. And so although you may have heard the words before, don't know if you've heard them said quite like this. All things are impermanent. They arise and they pass away. To be one with this truth brings happiness. There you go. Let that swim around in your mind for a while. <laughs> Stay awake. Do not identify. Gil Fronsdale, I, I often like to offer this when I've spoken about hindrances because it's a practical, useful way to begin to work with recognition and uh, uh, resolution of hindered mind states. Gil Fronsdale offers us a way to take the hindrances into our mindfulness practice, which consists of five different aspects. The acronym for this tool is BELLA, which translates into English as beautiful. He says that the acronym describes the mind that is revealed when the hindrances are overcome and mindfulness becomes strong. So BELLA. B. When a hindrance appears, it is useful to first let it be, not acting on it or reacting to it. It is the training in staying present for our experience without being in conflict with it. No need to be discouraged, angry, or self-critical when faced with a hindrance. Letting a hindrance be is a practice of finding an inner stability in the face of destabilizing forces. Letting it be involves recognizing and acknowledging the hindrance. The clearer the recognition and mindfulness, the more we pull ourselves out of the web of confusion and non-clear seeing. This brings great freedom 
Recognition also ensures our practice stays honest and realistic. Bella, E, examine. This is said to be the most important aspect of our practice with the hindrance. Exploring the hindrances involves recognizing the components, its physical, energetic, cognitive, and motivational aspects. For example, if we take sense desire and deconstruct it physically, it may be experienced as a leaning forward, a tightening of the solar plexus, or a sense of lightness. Energetically, it may involve pressure, a sense of restlessness, or an upsurging of vitality. Emotionally, sense desire may invoke pleasant emotions like delight, excitement, or eagerness. Cognitively, sense desire may involve beliefs and stories we tell ourselves. And motivationally, sense desire may come as a strong impulse to act or cling or fix. Learning how hindrances arise, how they are removed, and how they can be prevented from arising requires attention and discernment. The Buddhist word that is translated into hindrances also has the meaning of covering. We can examine what the hindrances are masking. For example, desire can be covering loneliness. Ill will can be covering frustrated desire. Sloth and torpor can be covering fear. Restlessness and worry can be covering wanting and approval. And doubt can be covering a reluctance to commit. Examine the hindrance itself, its absence, how it arose, how it is removed, how to prevent it from arising again. Bella, lesson, L-E-S-S-N-E-N. Lesson, its strength. Relaxing both the body and mind are good ways to lessen the intensity of strong bouts with a hindrance. If a hindrance is overwhelming, lessening its power might require removing yourself from the situations that reinforce it or directing one's attention to something that has a calming effect. Focusing on an antidote to a hindrance can be helpful as well. For example, cultivating loving-kindness can help lessen ill will. Bella, second L, let go. Once we understand a hindrance, it can be appropriate to let go of it. For example, letting go of the thinking that perpetuates the hindrance. This ability to let go of the hindrance increases with practice. Letting go is like a muscle which grows stronger with practice and time, like a gem for the mind. Bella, appreciate. When a hindrance is no longer present, it is useful to take time to experience its absence, to be mindful and present without being hijacked by a hindrance is a joy. 
Relief that arises when the mind is free of hindrances is a delight. Unhindered attention is a treasure. Bella, be, examine, lesson, let go, appreciate. So you may, in your moving in towards turning towards intentionally engaging with the hindrances and bringing practice there, might want to reflect, are there predominant hindrances that you find yourself meeting continually or consistently? Which of the hindrances is the stronger or most common for you? Which is the weakest? Which is most likely to affect your meditation? Which is most likely to influence your behavior in daily life? In meditation and life, which occasions do the hindrances arise in you? What are the common conditions for their arising? What external circumstances elicit the hindrances? Notice what opportunities you have in your daily life, in your daily retreat life. There are numerous and many to bring mindfulness to the hindrances. Are you able to use some or all of the practices, the Bella, removing yourself, breath, from Tanisara and Kitasaros, listening to the heart, Unwise attention is what arouses sensual desire and the other hindrances. And wise attention is what dispels them. With practice, mindfulness eventually becomes stronger than the power of the hindrances. Choosing to be mindful of a hindrance is a significant move towards being free of it. One of the most significant turning points in practice with the hindrances is when we choose freedom over being hindered. Let the practice release your heart from fear. Let the quieting of your mind and the clear seeing of the truth release you from confusion and clinging. Let understanding and acceptance of the way things are in this moment flower the fruit of wisdom. Thank you for your listening. Let's sit for a moment.
poem to end our evening. <clears throat> when all is said and done, this is the reality of the truth. The poem is entitled Song of the Star. I am nothing but oxygen and hydrogen, a luminous sphere of plasma held together by helium and gravity. And like a balloon, I float on earth, waiting to be released back into the sky, waiting to go back in the reverse direction from which I came traveling through a warm tunnel of light and out into a dark, cold abyss where I will explode into a thousand pieces. I shall leave behind my body, just like air abandons the skin of a shattered balloon. And the magnetic dust that carries my heart and spirit will lift us back to congregate and shine with the stars. Home again in the fluorescent kingdom of the constellations. I will once again be called by my soul's true name and my heart, it will flicker again with every memory from its many lifetimes and with every wish made by a child. May all beings have ease. May all beings know the experience of leaning into grace, even as difficulties and challenges come our way. May all beings have health. May all beings be free. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.